records Smell the cover, read all the verses Tell me about your favorites on vinyl and vision What you're listening to is the first track off of the album Love Profess by my very special guest this evening, Mac Blackout. Hello, welcome to Vinyl and Vision. This is episode 54. Um, Mac is a, an amazing artist, uh, both visual and audio uh, artist from Chicago. We do a lot of discussion in this episode about uh, Mac's uh, latest album uh, called Love Profess, which you are listening to a selection of now. And... Um, and the album, and an album that uh, spoke to him, and kind of was involved in the creative process of that album, the making of that album, which was uh, Brian Eno's Another Green World. The parallels are striking. There, uh, there's a lot of similarities both between the musical content and the um, the artistic uh, capacities of both Mac and Brian Eno. And it was just a pleasure to speak with him and get to know him. Um, I've been a little bit of a fan for a, a short while now, but uh, but I'm very much uh, deep in it at this point. Now, in summary, after the fact, after this conversation had happened, I can realize a little bit more clearly that um, that record, his last one, and what looks to be coming in the future is of this same ilk, where it's, uh, it's uh, kind of uh, more of a departure and in, in, into what could be de- uh, described as ambient um experimental still and um but different from from some music that mac mac has made in the past with some of his uh, previous bands uh starting as uh, late as uh, or as early as the late 90s uh with the daily void and the uh, functional blackouts and so on leading into his more kind of freeform, kind of free jazz-ish band, uh, Armageddon Experimental Band. So uh, it was just a very great honor to be able to speak with him. I was so excited that Mac agreed to do this with me, and um, and things, of course, got a little messy right off the jump. Um, we kind of had a lot of technical issues where we couldn't get the right audio coming through, and it was really... Uh, it, it was very frustrating and it took like almost half an hour so we kind of like got to a jumpy start and uh, I don't know if you'll be able to tell that or not from the conversation but uh, there actually also is a little bit of a delay which is really unfortunate I think that if you're listening to the audio stream you're not going to notice it too much um, especially if you're the type that is out and about and doing your thing with like some earbuds in or something um, if you're listening in perfect quiet you probably will notice it um, I just have to say I'm sorry to Mac for that because I know it was driving him crazy uh, trying to t- talk with that echo going on and I could not hear it from my end at the time so I kind of just let it go. So I'm sorry but it's I still think it's a great conversation and we had a great time and I hope you enjoy it and if you do uh, please do all the things you do with the internet and like and share and subscribe and um, you know you can share that on social medias and tell a friend and so forth and that would help and uh if you rate and review our show as well we also do uh, much appreciate that 
Um, if you'd like to know more about us, what we do, uh, the company that pro- uh, produces this show, PsychicStatic.net is the website to go to. Um, anything that's purchased through that website helps to fund the show, basically. So uh, I do a lot of vinyl record sales, as uh, well as some, uh, some small merchandise items that are going to be there. And uh, I also uh, recommend that you please check out Mac. Um, you can follow him on Instagram and Facebook and all the other social medias. Just search Mac Blackout. And uh, I will be providing links in the show notes, so you can just hit those up and uh, pick up his record. God damn it, it's amazing. I seriously really love this, and I have to say thank you to Jay Ryan for turning me on to him. Uh, Jay has no idea that he's turned me on to that to, to, to Mac, but it's true he has, uh, because I am a stalker, and I stalk him on Bandcamp, and I see what he buys, and this was one of the things. So I thank him in, um, in helping me explore and experiment with new and interesting music because this certainly is that and uh, by all means check out Mac's website um, also being provided in the show notes where you can find links to uh, a lot of his music and a lot of his art um, because that's the next big thing is that I'm going to have to purchase some of his goddamn art because it's amazing Uh, without further ado folks I'm trying to keep this short I will thank you very much and enjoy Uh, I'm sorry about all of this uh, this mishap, but uh, it's really nice to to have you here and talking with you. Yeah, it's great. I'm I'm happy to be here. Cool, man. Yeah, I'm um so I'm a, a big fan. I just got turned on to you recently. Um, for some reason, I feel like um I bought your album Love Profess. Yeah. Yeah. And um, for some reason, I feel like it was it's been years ago already. It's yeah. It feels like a long time. Like the pandemic was. I don't know. It's it just broke up time, truthfully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, because so you you released the album in July 2020, or was that no? It, was that when you were done recording? I was it? done recording it in July of 2020, and that was really important for me to put on the album because um, it was such a huge change for everybody in a in a really uh, crazy time. You know, it was just everything was right. absolutely insane. So. It was, uh, you know, it was important that I stated that it was created between, um, you know, January of that year and it, and it from like one complete opposite to the next, you know what I mean? It's, it was a, uh, it was a really tough yeah. time. It had been seven years since I recorded an album and uh, like a solo album. And I'd been working with a bunch of bands, um, because yeah, I basically in the '90s. I'm a visual artist and a and a musician. So in the '90s, I was I wrote graffiti and did all that. And then when I came to Chicago from Indianapolis, um, I started a band called the Functional Blackouts, which was like kind of a noisier uh, punk band, and mm-hmm. that kind of merged into the Daily Void, and uh, which was kind of along the same lines. And then there was Mickey, which was kind of like a, uh, a glam pop, uh, like re- kind of like a hardcore glam rock band. It, it yeah. was really pretty and, and whatnot. The music was really pretty, but um, when you um, when we hit the stage, it was kind of like insane. <laughs> so it was like a hardcore yeah. show. So that was okay. kind of my idea with that. Uh, yeah, I, I, 
I've heard all of that music because uh, you have all of those bands up on uh, on Bandcamp. Yeah. So I actually took the day to just basically listen to the entire catalog. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, so I, you get I'm, familiar with that. But for for listeners and everything, that's like a little bit of history, and that's what led up to this. During those bands, I was recording a lot of solo uh, bedroom recordings. Kind of, it would fall possibly into that lo-fi genre that was like happening at the time. It's probably mm-hmm. still. I mean, it's always been happening. The home recording, taping, home taping, that kind of thing. Um, right. But you know, I was just making kind of weirdo bedroom music back then for a long time, and then. Um, uh, I think it was around 2012 that I put out my last uh, group of home recordings and under my own name. And that was also the time that Mickey was kind of breaking up and I was starting my own band. And we also had a band called New Rose Alliance at the time, which was kind of more of like a uh, more arty version of Mickey, you know, kind of like a Roxy music-ish type of feel to... Yeah. Uh, I mean, not necessarily, but more of a arty version of glam. So yeah, yeah, the the dancier version. Yeah, so it's kind of strange that I mean, that, I chose another Green World because I love uh, for this because I I love I've loved that record since I was a kid. Um, really. And yeah, well, that, that's kind of what I wanted to ask you yeah. about because uh, I mean, you were saying like you know you should get into the history and I, and I actually do want to do that. So um, you you were born in Bedford, Indiana. Yeah. So uh, when, like, how long were you there? Did you were you raised there? Yeah, I was raised there. I uh, until sixteen. I was there until I was sixteen, and then, yeah, um, you know, it was it was just I was like the only kid that was into like punk rock and stuff for the most part. There's probably like a, two or three other skater kids, you know, that kind of thing, and just kind of yeah. feeding myself um, music through Maximum Rock and Roll and um, uh, stopping at what was it Camelot music or something and just buying random tapes and stuff off the shelves. This was probably 92, you know, like right. 91, whatever, like kind of, you know, around the same time Nirvana came out on MTV and, and that was really explosive for everybody. And then also at the oh, same right. time, like uh, hip hop was like coming around. So it was a huge explosive time. And that's how, uh, yeah, I kind of got it. Got into writing graffiti at the same time, back in like '93. Oh, okay. So it was like, you know, I was like 16. What I was born in '77, so yeah, I was like 16. Yeah, um, cool. And that's when I left Bedford when I was 16. So it was like all this big explosion at that same time. And really in the '90s, like I grew up listening to the Germs and like all these tapes. I saw, I watched Decline of Western Civilization when I was a kid. And it yeah. gave me a lot of stuff to relate to um, as somebody that didn't have any uh, cultural things or music around them. And, uh, hmm. and then uh, meeting friends in Chicago and coming up here for the first time once I, I could, I kind of got out of the house and, and um, that was really nice to, yeah. to get more experience with, with different stuff and get turned on to hip hop and all kinds of different things. And at the same yeah. time, like, obviously that was hitting, uh, the mainstream with like, like Wu-Tang came out and, uh, you know, all that stuff here in, here in Chicago, it was common sense. And, um, yeah, this is, this so what is brought you, there's a lot of different what, influences. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I mean, like, you know, we all Everybody have them. Has. I mean, th- this show is really hard because it's like, it, you know, it's kind of asking us somebody about one record, like the one right. that you think that kind of 
turn something in your brain, right. you know? But, um, but so what, uh, why did you leave to Chicago? What, what brought you there? Um, this was kind of the natural move for me because my graffiti crew was up here. I had friends up here and it was just, there was more opportunities than in Indianapolis at the time, really. Sure, sure. I mean, I guess it's uh, geographically kind of close. I, mean, I can't really think of the, yeah. the geography right yeah, now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like three hours away. And uh, I, I went to art school from, what was it, 95 to 99 in Indianapolis. So I was graduating art school, and there were a lot more galleries up here and everything. So this yeah. is visual arts. Um, so you kind of had already dipped your toe in Chicago like yeah. in this time. Yeah. And so, yeah, so it just brought, you decided after wanting yeah. to leave there to go to the next major metropolis, which would be that. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Cool. <laughs> so, uh, now you said how, you know, you kind of like, we're getting into punk music as, as a, a young kid, like, you know, early nineties, like the year punk breaks 92 or whatever, when fucking Nirvana came out, <laughs> what, what, uh, drew you to that type of music? As a kid, like, because you didn't, did you have siblings? No. So you were an only child? Yeah. So, yeah, it's always hard to have somebody kind of, like, if you don't have a sibling, it's kind of hard to find where that comes from sometimes. I think skating and stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, Thrasher, looking at all the, you know, music stuff in Thrasher, that probably, like, turned, turned me on quite a bit to that. Yeah, uh, but how did you find Thrasher? Like, what, what like, no, how did I, you get you, to that? Thrasher was at, at the grocery store. You know, you just saw it and you were like, that looks cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before that, it was like, what was it? Like, uh, freestyle bikes and stuff. And like, you know, what kids get into in the 80, late 80s. You like, you like the extreme stuff, the extreme sports? Well, it wasn't called that back then. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not. But yeah, BMX, it was, like biking. Yeah, BMX and, and, and like, uh, BMX and, and freestyle, you know, just like, just anything that was like, uh, exciting you know i guess i was a hyperactive yeah. kid i like to 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 do uh i don't know <laughs> right well, so like, so... there was a lot of art in it it was uh oh right you know it was more expressive forms of, of things i mean when you grow up in a small town it's it's more like football basketball i mean in, in indiana it was more basketball and stuff and that was that's kind of all that's on anybody's mind as far right. as like something that they do but you know, I was just searching and, um, you know, what people don't really realize is you didn't have the world at your fingertips at all. Anything like that was a little different or flashy or artistic was like everything to you. Being in like Southern Indiana in Bedford, it was like a thrasher magazine was like finding a gold mine. It, it was such a culture clash to like the way you were living, like yeah. the, the neighborhood you grew up in, let's say the house, like all that stuff. Yeah. And like, there's so few of those kids that it can relate to that, that culture, you know, like skating, wanting to skate, dressing like that, you yeah. know, kind of like that whole dressed down, gnarly, grungy thing. And then of course the music, yeah. because all of those skaters, I mean, they were all listening to, to punk music for the most part. So I imagine that you found out what they were listening to. Or you're like, okay, let me listen to that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah Cause sure. like what I was mean, music? It was, it was a huge, I mean, really more than skating. That was more of an artistic, uh, um, inspiration to me just to find all of that. 
right. know, through skateboarding. And I think that's that's the same thing that happened with the, it's probably turned on a ton of musicians, Thrasher and, and that. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that was like the, the only thing. I mean, there was MTV, definitely. Oh, yeah. And like those right. shows and, um, you know, just, you know, hearing kids play Run DMC on, at, on their boom boxes, like at track and field when you're like, 10 years old or something that that's really cool mm-hmm. good memories yeah. but like it's like uh yeah it was you know it, really finding that through skateboarding created an exploration and i think i was really frustrated when i was a kid because i was living in in a in a uh, in a small town environment and it wasn't um as much as i love uh the community that I mean, I love growing up in the in that area, and I love the people there and everything. It just didn't have the uh, artistic um, culture that I needed. Yeah. So, uh, like in the house that you grew up in, you, you grew up with your parents, both both of them. Uh, mother. And- I grew up with my mother until three, and she's also an artist. Uh, she was an art teacher there, so in Bedford oh. for forty years. So, yeah. Oh wow. And, but I grew so, up with her since I was three. I visited my dad in Indianapolis uh, regularly, and then in, when I was sixteen, I just moved in with my father, and uh, and then started writing graffiti and you know all this other stuff. Like that's where it all sort of came get, to be. I mean, I was skateboarding and breaking all my bones and doing that stuff, and it was about time to like do something creative because, like I said. I wanted to make music or do something artistic um, and writing graffiti was like the first thing that really, really I fell in love with besides making music. Mu- making music was great. I had a lot of like little bedroom bands and stuff in the early nineties, like with friends, but nothing took off and I just kind of, uh, uh, just kind of gravitated to writing graffiti at that point. Mm-hmm. So, um, you spent the majority of your kind of like young years mm-hmm. with your dad. Um, it was, I mean, that, like I said, it was 16 and then I was out like at 18. So, right. Right. Well, cause I'm just curious, like, you know, what was music like in the house when you were growing up? Oh, like, my, my dad, either of your parents. Yeah. My dad, like, it was really cool. We took long car trips and stuff. So it was really cool to grow up with him. Um, and going on those car trips, the two-hour trips from Bedford to Indianapolis every other weekend or, um, you know, it, it varied. But, like, um, you know, he turned me on to Miles Davis and listening to stereo recordings. And and he would be playing uh, – uh, he, he would explain how the bass is coming out of the speaker and, and, you know, everything. And it was really exciting. It was it was great. I mean, we grew, I grew up mm. with, with uh, that. I grew up with, like – he played a ton of John Cougar and like John Cougar Mellencamp and stuff. So like it was Indiana, but I mean, that stuff inspired a lot of, uh, rock and roll, uh, or earlier stuff I did in elastic in the two thousands and stuff. So, you know, and there's, yeah, I can hear that. I can hear a little John Cougar, but you know, the Beatles, all, (laughs) all that stuff, it's kind of all over the place. My influences, I take it, I take things in and let those energies pour through me. Like, uh, right. You know, I think that's the only way to do it. But that's cool. So, like, I mean, what's, like, your first memory of music, like, in the house? Was it the, the Miles Davis or, like... Um, uh, the Beatles, Yellow Submarine record. I play that all the time. 
my dad left so a few you- albums behind or my mom had a few there and it was uh i had a record player and it was alice cooper uh and it was like this romeo and juliet record that was really like dramatic that i really loved to play and stuff <laughs> oh yeah yeah i think i might know that i think i actually have a copy of one of those <laughs> it's weird it's like super dramatic and like i would take my toys and like shine a flashlight and pretend like there was like this crazy interplay or something yeah between characters or like um you know it was that like things really pop culture of the 80s was like a huge influence in just the uh the way that um yeah just the way that things were back then <laughs> yeah yeah and so so when did uh i mean i imagine that you've been like kind of just like doodling and stuff ever since you were like a baby but yeah. like when did art kind of like come into play in your life um i think it was really like the whole time because my mom was an yeah. art teacher and i would just draw and and do all that but you know in in probably as soon as i got into high school i was i spent all my time in the in the art department like in the, actually uh the school down there at Bedford North Lawrence, they had a great art program. They had stone sculpture and printmaking and airbrushing and all this stuff oh, that wow. normal high schools don't have. So it was like pretty amazing to do stone sculpture when you're 16 and do all that stuff. So, but besides that, I was just, I was drawing and, and a lot. And, um, and I just realized that I was re- I was really good at it, and I I love that's what I loved the most, and and then I ended up going to art school after after um, after high school, or really I mean it was all about graffiti, truthfully. Yeah. Because like say like my junior year is really when I started writing graffiti, so it was I, I guess that's ninety three, and then that was like a whole new world. I was exploring like the entire city in the middle of the night, and every, everything was was in my own hands. I you know, I could see my name the next day and see it everywhere. It was like really exciting. It was a reflection of, of capitalism and all the strange, you know, I have my own philosophies on graffiti and how, um, how kids uh, gravitate towards that because they really don't have anything else and they can't see a real future in anything in this instant gratification. They, they can make, uh, make something happen real quick. You know, that was the biggest thing for me. Oh, okay. Well, cause so, and then, so when did, when did music come into your life? Like when did you start playing instruments? Um, that was before, before I started writing graffiti, I, I had some bands in, in, um, in Bedford and they were just playing with a drummer and maybe another kid, you know what I mean? I played guitar and sang and hmm. I have some recordings of that. We basically just sounded like, you know, Nirvana meets like, some decline of Western Souls or like, you know, early punk bands from LA or something. That's what it kind of sounded like, yeah. which is cool. You know, I mean, I bet you people would be into that now, but we kind of suck. But, so it's not really, <laughs> <laughs> you got to start somewhere. It's not really man, anything yeah. to like break out of the archives, but, um, right. you know, we practice and had fun. And then really I went to Indianapolis and kind of, you know, I was in into minor threat and that kind of stuff. So I, I saw that there were straight edge kids there. So I tried to see what they were about, but they were more into like that chugga chugga hardcore thing. And that wasn't my thing. You know, I tried to have like a hardcore band, like an old school punk hardcore band when I first moved to Indianapolis, but that didn't really happen. So really it was like graffiti. 
It, like yeah. it was just I right. turned straight to that, and that was my my big passion. And then when I got into college um, in '95, I mean, so the the thing with the graffiti and why it's such a big thing is there was no graffiti in Indianapolis at all when I got there. There were yeah. like little little teeny tiny things like left over from the 80s there's like maybe somebody like what did it say i don't even know what it said there was like a piece that said i don't know let's say it said jimmy or something but it was big in rainbow letters and it was like cool i was like there's some graffiti here right but there wasn't so there was you know i'd seen this on i'd seen uh what do you call it subway art and uh mm-hmm. and seen that's pretty much it or seeing welcome back hotter and stuff like that. So I looked around and I, I saw these, uh, I, I saw a couple kids. There was one kid on the East side and there was another kid. I saw a couple tags here and there and I was like, Oh, that's cool. So I was tagging and they were tagging and then we like all met up and, uh, we kind of all started that thing. That's why it was so exciting because we were pioneering everything in the whole entire uh, city. Well, yeah as we were taking influence from New York or what we saw on TV, we were interested in these cultures and we were bringing, we were bringing all of those together and, um, and growing individually. But, uh, you know, it was exciting. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, no, I bet it was. I mean, like, that's just like, so, you know, invigorating to find, to find something that you're really passionate about, yeah. you know, and just to pursue it as a kid, you know, I mean, and pursue it, I kinda, knowing nothing about it is, is just really weird. Right. It's like not, knowing nothing about the culture, you're just kind of uh, doing it your own way. And then around 95, we met up with some uh, kids from Chicago and, you know, they, they told us, taught us all about what it was going on in Chicago. And then 96, I painted at the CTA contest up here which is basically it was a big uh thing that the the transit the train uh you know like like just like the or whatever um they threw in 96 and all the kids basically uh they gave all the kids paint and then they painted and promised not to ride on the cta <laughs> which didn't really happen <laughs> of course not but like no. you know it was a thing to deter for graffiti but it was like a big historical type of event that which was really cool to be a part of in, in my early years uh doing art and stuff but yeah like uh, like i said in 95 i was in art school at the same time for at my art school i would do like really emotional like serious uh expressive work like hmm. and i was learning about uh you know all kinds of crazy techniques and and whatnot and then on the street i was just kind of flying by the seat of my pants just, just discovering new things and and creating new styles and uh painting gigantic freight trains and the whole cars and doing all this stuff so yeah. it was like a completely two different lives and when i graduated and moved to Chicago, those things started becoming one. And I started realizing all of this. Uh, I don't have to separate and assign these things. So music and, and, and all of these things started becoming one. And I started doing uh, album covers and, and flyer art with my bands and that and that kind of like, uh, I, I, in Chicago, I also did some of the first street art um, 
quote, I put that in quotes because uh, it was basically, I was doing large posters, kind of like how Cost and Revs did in, in New York. I'd had trips there, but uh, you know, it was more like graffiti based street art that had my name and like, you know, big pictures of Joe Lewis with my name on his knuckles. They're like, they were like eight feet tall or something on the street. And then like uh-huh. uh, pictures like from 60s riots with people screaming and like my name on it or something like weird stuff like that. Yeah, yeah it was that like, great. So th- it was cool. It was like some of the first like poster graffiti street art stuff in Chicago. That was around 2000. I'm sure there was a lot of other kids doing some weirder graffiti based uh, yeah. art. But I remember so, so how does that feel now like to now that you do you actually have like people i'm assuming that you get funded through like the city and through like grants and stuff yeah. like that some of the massive murals that you get to yeah. do like how, how fucking cool is it that now you actually get paid from the city to do your art on those walls a lot of people <laughs> a lot of people do that actually right it's, right it's cool it's like a lot of a lot of graffiti artists are now doing that and doing really positive work and stuff so yeah I mean, it, it feels great. <laughs> I mean, it's what, right. it's what should happen. We're, we're a part of, uh, this was our culture and, you know, and things come around and that's how we grow and yeah. we become I features mean, of tomorrow, a, you know? Right. Right. And it's a way to beautify your city. Right. You know, and, and, and to kind of allow for that, that kind of glimmer of, of hope like you needed when you were a kid, like, cause you didn't see any of that that graffitiing or, or subway art where you were growing up, but you knew that it was somewhere and you just needed to kind of be exposed to. Oh it. yeah, definitely. definitely. So I, it's been a long time since I've been to Chicago. I don't really remember it very well, but uh, you know, I can only imagine that all of these pieces that you're doing and like obviously other artists in the city, you just make it that much better. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, now it's, it's a totally different, like talking about my childhood and talking about now is, it's, it's so weird because, um, you know, I've just grown a lot and uh, there was so much angst and frustration and, and not, um, not being, not seeing any future. Like there wasn't, you didn't have control of your own destiny as much when you had to make 10, 20 of the same paintings, go to a gallery and hope that they would like your work. And then, then they'd make you do 10 or 20 of the same painting. And then that was your future. You know what I mean? So now you can get on Instagram and um, do that kind of thing. And, uh, and you can, you can create whatever you want to create and people get to see you for who you are, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, That's one of the benefits to technology. Yeah. So one of the definite benefits of technology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's when you can't figure it out. What I'm doing now is cause I, finally embraced i was able to embrace that and be able to reach so many more people and then with that it just it just opens tons of doors it's great yeah well hey i i love it i love what uh, i love what you're doing i love seeing it like i follow you on instagram and like just seeing all of this work that you're doing and, and just just your work in general like i checked out your website i saw like all of the things there you know from the painting to the prints to, to the coloring to the you know sculpture all of it it's just fucking fascinating thank stuff you, man thank you so um let's get onto your music for a little bit though because you got tons of that too <laughs> so Sorry. i think it's- i think i counted on your on your discography like you've got like 35 releases 
Yeah, I mean, it, does that sound right to you? I don't even know anymore. I mean, the mixture of seven inches singles, yeah. full length records, about thirty five altogether. Yeah. So it's yeah. I mean, it's it's all like basically like independent labels and um, yeah. I mean, it's it's all released by by like basically smaller independent labels and whatnot. Like there was some sure. some bigger independent labels like Hozak and Sacred Bones. Uh, yeah, Trouble in Mind that. just released this record, which was amazing. They're old friends of mine. We used to play shows together all the time with, and uh, and it's it, it was a really good fit because they were kind of getting into the same um, type of stuff that I was getting into as far as their tastes. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. So um, I mean, so the last record that you did, uh, the Love Profess. I mean. I think it's fair to say because since now I've listened to all of the your back catalog, this is a this is like a sea change for you. Like it's kind of like a, a completely different style of music almost. Yeah, I mean it's it's not really, but it is. It's what I, I guess that's what I was getting at with having to do the background because right. people don't understand the background, they won't understand. Um, Right. Well, it seems like the closest yeah. project that you did was the Armageddon Experimental Band. Yeah. That seemed like it was the kind of like most obvious um, transition from doing that into the last record that you made. Yeah. So what happened with, with that was, um, so the, that last album that I did in like 2012, uh, the last solo album I did was called American Loser, and that was supposed to come out on vinyl and that was like a it was a big like disappointment because the person the label kind of flaked and basically stopped getting back with any of the artists they had promised to do records with and then it came out on cassette like a couple years later or a year or two later like 2013 or basically i went through a lot of changes since then um i had mac blackout band i at the same time i was starting to have my art crew was starting to pop off a little bit. I was creating boom boxes and, and selling a lot of those, like these anthropomorphic boom boxes and doing a lot of illustrations and having some art shows. Things were starting to go good with that. Um, and there were just changes happening. I wasn't as frustrated. I wasn't like, so the reason I've made it so much frustrating music and stuff, and like this goes back to all of that was we didn't, I didn't see a future artistically. There was no Instagram. There was no real way to connect and show people um, what you have to offer the world back then. So it was, it was all super DIY. So I ended up basically um, working kind of dead end jobs, like at an art supply store, or a party store um, all day, and then making music all night. You know what I mean? Making yeah, music. Of course. That's why I have so many albums. It was making music all night long, uh, drinking too much, partying too much, and like it just kind of culminated in uh, Mac Blackout Band, which is totally different than the solo recordings. But Mac Blackout Band was like more of like a heavy thing, like I was saying, and yeah. uh, it was just it just it began to be too much, and it wasn't it wasn't doing what I wanted to do. It was more of a habit towards the end. Yeah, and I get it. we were. We weren't really happy. So what I did was I stopped drinking heavily and I stopped smoking 
and uh, basically, um, yeah, it was basically I just changed everything around, took three months off, got back together with the band. We wrote like a bunch of punk songs, probably paid a, played a couple shows, had an album release, and then we changed and turned into Armageddon Experimental Band. And basically, I just, I just, uh, everybody else in the band was changing too, and they were open to change. So I said, we're not going to write songs anymore. Um, let's just flip this around and, and we'll just improvise. And that's it. Because I, okay. I was basically improvising on stage whenever I wanted to. And we would get in fights on stage because, because I was, they thought I was screwing up the, the set but right. I wasn't really screwing up the set. I was like playing to like the energy of the room. And it basically I was improvising on songs that weren't <laughs> supposed to be improvised. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I, I mean, was really interested in improvisation. So we, we took it that way, that direction right. with the Armageddon experimental band. And, and that was really kind of equal parts. Everybody. Um, those are people from daily void from Mickey um, and from other punk bands here in, in Chicago. Okay. Um, so it was basically Mac Blackout Band switched to Armageddon Experimental and we totally did a different thing. Uh, we have like hundreds of hours, I don't know, hundreds, maybe more than a hundred hours of, of recordings from that band that probably will never see the light of day until some, unless somebody here listens <laughs> and says, we want to, I want to, uh, listen to your hour long, uh, tapes and kind of sift through those and take the best stuff out of it. But we've we've right. done a few of uh, we've weeded through some of the better tapes and we've released some stuff. Trouble in Mind released a cassette, and then um, I what I forget what the label is. I think it's a uh, Mastermind Records or something um, uh, in Europe. Uh, the guy from uh, Cola Freaks is oh, okay. um, he's he was going to put out an album. And he's he, I've been in conversation about that. He's going to put out an. Uh, Transit Meditations and um, what was it Dreamways? I think that was those those two albums. And there was going to be a couple tracks from that are unreleased with that because those were some of our. I liked some of those albums probably the best. So and we had those. Um, yeah. So it was a good representation of us. And we did a lot of video work with that band too, like experimental videos where I would film traffic and overlay directions of traffic and it was just these meditations that's why we had transit meditations that kind of fell together with that yeah. and then um you know I, I would just walk into the middle of the street and film crowds of people walking and overlay these and do these weird uh experimental med meditative videos and they're kind of what do you call it uh dystopian you know what i mean we had a very yeah. like heavy heavy sound i mean it was it was kind of i always try to like I guess this is what we're getting to with, with Love Profess was was this was a it was a pathway it was all coming around to something that was I wanted to get away from that and get more positive and try to I don't know if you would call it positive or you would just call it opening myself up to creating something that's loving and, and kind you know what I mean so that's yeah what, that's what kind of came with it so huh. armageddon experimental band um kind of created music 
until the pandemic started. And then we had to kind of stop because all bands kind of had these crazy boxes of COVID, you know, like practice spaces that all the ventilation systems were uh, connected in the entire building. So really if one band was practicing and coughing down the room, you're getting the same air as them. So it was like a, you know, so everybody in the city like had practice spaces like that really. So music kind of had to stop in general anyway so you kind of had, you kinda to, had be, to make do yeah, you're, you're to for, on yeah. my own and do that kind of thing so that was really cool um to actually have some time to start focusing on this album that i'd already been in working on and i'd always had i'd already had philosophies of not wanting to i, I got away from doing vocals because i felt like it was really uh um it wasn't something that I was excited about. I was more into the abstract qualities of music. Um, mm. It was, I really wanted to get away from, from that stuff. So, and I didn't like yelling and screaming anymore, really. I didn't feel like that was something that was really in me. I had a ton of energy. Like like you can probably hear on this recording, I probably I, I rant and rave about shit. But. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> yeah no well, no that's cool i mean because i mean it, it makes sense i mean obviously like the songs that ended up on making up the album love profess i mean yeah. it's funny to hear you say how like you kind of like deliberately were were considering like making something that sounded positive because i mean like yeah all the other bands that you've been part of like i've listened to all of it and and yeah it's it's all pretty straightforward punk stuff you yeah. know it's like garagey it's scuzzy and you as the front man, you know, it's all screaming and yelling and like yeah. getting in people's faces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that with a love record. I mean, like... Well, it wasn't about the, the love didn't come first. <laughs> no, first but even that... It was that, all that inside. That, right. It was just like that that bringing on that, that feeling of like positivity and just kind of like these good vibes. Yeah. You know, and um, yeah, I think he sure. succeeded very well. Um, so now with that being said, uh, income... Brian Eno's Another Green World. Yeah. So, this, so is, this is something that I was listening to while in the 2000s. I probably got turned on to it by, I don't know, Roxy Music my, and my friends and Functional Blackouts and stuff. But, uh, yeah, so it, would, it just blew my mind and I couldn't stop listening to that album when I was in the 2000s and it always stayed with me. And uh, mm-hmm. Was that the first Eno record you heard? No, I mean, I, I had his first album and like his other, uh, I had, I think I had a, a comp of, of some of his vocal work, like during Roxy or right after Roxy music. Okay. But uh, yeah, I had Her- Here Come the Warm Jets and like a, another comp. I don't know. It was super invigorating to hear um, something that was completely different that spoke to me and spoke to my soul that wasn't like as humans, we kind of get on this thing where our brains run in tangents and we just fixate on one thing and do this kind of stuff. But so that's, mm-hmm. that's possibly why I did made the kind of like, like punk and garage music for so long. But you can tell if you look listen to those solo albums, there's so much quirky, weird stuff going on. Um, and there's so much experimentation. Um, yeah, I mean, anyway, I look back on that and be like, well, I wish I was experimenting a little bit more and had a little bit more of an open mind. But, um, you know, yeah. it's it time. It takes time to uh, 
to evolve and whatever. And, and you can tell obviously by now, if you listen this far that, that uh, I have so many things going on. It's almost like, it's hard to like really, uh, uh, it's hard to keep Balance. up with. Like, so yeah, like right. this, this album came around with, with me, like um, basically picking up the saxophone instead of singing with Armageddon experimental band. And that was basically an extension and did the same thing for me as singing because you're kind of, it's very physical and you're using your breath and it's very uh, romantic and, and uh, spiritual kind of instrument that uh, it's, it's just, uh, it's been my main thing for a long time. Yeah. And like what, uh, when I say a long time, I mean two years. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because you only started playing the sax two years ago. Yeah. You never you played it before. So I'd only played it about a year. I played it a year before um, I started making. Well, no, I played for a couple years. It was just uh, toward the end of Arm- Armageddon Experimental Band. I think it was probably twenty eighteen. Oh shoot, I don't even know. Two years ago, I think. Or maybe okay. three. Oh, like, that's cool. like we said, we like you said earlier. <laughs> year, you can't tell what year it is. Anymore. Yeah, no, I really can't. Um, so, so you were telling me uh, when I asked you about doing this show that uh, that you were listening to uh, this album, yeah. Another Green World, a lot while you were kind of working on Love Profess. Yeah, I think I so, more of chose this album because of because this is the that's the format of this this podcast. Yeah. But it truly was something that I was studying, and I bought. I went out and got it. You know, I had a copy that skipped and you can't have a copy of another green world that skips so i went out and got a a fresh copy of that and like you know read up on it and like was really kind of like uh studying studying that kind of thing i've I've always studied or been a fan of brian eno and his oblique strategies and all these kind of things uh and his approaches and um i'd always been a big fan of that stuff but really so it was playing the saxophone um finally getting a decent synthesizer i got a a moe grandmother and and i had so i had a moe grandmother and i think i had like you know a multi multi like a mom keyboard with multi effects you know what i call them mom keyboards they have all the effects and stuff you know Uh uh-huh it's like like a family kind of keyboard that that normal people have around their house and then um i think i had a cz 1000 cz 100 or something like a a 80 cheap 80 synthesizer and that's i think that's what i made the album with and i towards the end i think one of the songs has like an arp odyssey on it that i got um those are things i started experimenting with and i started experimenting with making things pretty minimally but really what approaching the album i wrote wandering spheres in january before the pandemic so I was approaching it a way different way, and I really wanted to make um, something that had beautiful textures and was extremely uh, moving and emotional. And uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, I'm I'm an artist first and foremost, so it's this is all about expression of of feeling and uh, right. and using all the elements, the textures, and and whatnot. I'm I'm self taught musician. So it's it's not I don't have all of that. Uh, you don't have any restrictions. I don't it's have all any about... of that knowledge, like 
I don't, I don't even play notes. I don't know notes on the guitar. I don't know notes on anything. I just play. So right. it's all intuitive. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You're uninhibited in that, in that regard. Yeah. Just, just make the sound. I never tried to do that. Um, so about this album, uh, Another Green World, I mean, I think that I can hear, I can hear a pretty good, you know, connection. The, there's definitely connective tissue between the album that you made, Love Profess, and this one. Right. So I think it's really interesting, and we should probably get into it a little bit. Yeah. Um, so Another Green World came out in September 1975. It's Brian Eno's third solo record. Right. And um, yeah, it's pretty pretty different compared to the first two records of his. Um, do you want to listen to a little bit of the first song? Yeah, I mean, I really my favorite is is uh is the big ship and i have i am, I am going to ask you about that yeah let's start <laughs> okay, with sky saw <laughs> sky saw first hold on So this song is one of the only one of only five songs in this whole album where he actually sings, and I didn't get into any of it. Unfortunately, just play the first. Yeah, just play the first thirty seconds. No big deal. Uh, it's a great song. It's a great opener. Um, so players on this album: Phil Collins is playing drums, Percy Jones on fretless bass, Paul Rudolph on anchor bass, which I'm not quite sure what that is. Uh, Rod Melvin on Rhodes Piano, John Cale on the viola section, and then Eno on everything else, which also includes snake guitar. Yeah, well, I, okay, snake guitar. Oh, yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the song, right? No, wait. Well, it's... I don't know. I'm not... <laughs> I think it's based upon... So, now, because the, this this album was recorded in such weird ways, and obviously, you know, with Eno at the helm, and, and with him, like, resorting to some of his oblique strategies cards, right. a, lot of, a lot of crazy shit happened. And so, some of the, um, the credits on the album will actually reflect kind of what had happened through the oblique right. strategies cards. So if I if I understand correctly, the story was something along the lines of like reptiles. I was like snake guitar. What's snake guitar? Okay. Yeah. It, well, you can hear it. You know, yeah. you listen to the music and you and you think of a snake guitar. It's yeah, just yeah. like that's exactly what he tried to do. You know, he tried to like you know push his mind to you know lose using the oblique strategies to right. try to mimic something that would sound like a snake using the guitar for sure. And so he came up with that like thing, and it's just like it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy after you you learn that like to to now listen to it, and it's just like oh okay, that's that's what he was trying to do. That's so bizarre. Yeah, it's wild. I love it. So um, considering this album was a turning point in Eno's career and marked the transition into ambient music, and you were referring back to this as much as uh, as much as you were. Like you were listening to it for to making love profess. Uh, yeah. Do you see love profess as a turning point for you? Oh yeah, I mean, I th- I think that this is like 
I was I was kind of looking back into this album before this podcast, and I was seeing like uh, the parallels like were crazy. How it was basically it's just a longer period of time with me in a longer transition. But yeah, this album is a transition point, just like this was a transition point for him. Uh, right. And like I said, this is this album really isn't. I didn't take Eno's Another Green World in that wasn't like this major influence that made the record. It was really more of a huge, a, a connection and inspiration to understanding how music was made. Uh, okay. So basically this, this album was more of a, a pandemic hit. Emotions were crazy um, in every single way. Um, but you know it was just absolutely crazy so um yeah it was nuts so basically i we were all super emotional and and uh about all kinds of different things and um it's, it's hard to put yourself back in there because it was kind of a jarring time but yeah i, I was yeah. taking mushrooms and and basically um making notes um understanding that i needed to be a kinder person and be open to making a uh, an album that was, uh, you know, a more spiritual thing that was, everything was always spiritual, but it was always just raging and frustrating, basically screaming and ranting. Right. I, w- I wouldn't say that totally. I mean, my solo work was a lot no. of experimentation and fun, but a lot right, of my right. other bands were, was a lot of, like, intense music. Um, so mm-hmm. this was just opening and realizing that music didn't have to be that type of outlet and I didn't have to assign music. I didn't have to assign my frustration to music only. I could use music to express different emotions or actually I could open myself to not expressing myself only through frustration, but express myself through uh, sadness or um, whatever emotion. So it was yeah. basically, I mean, as many people know now with, uh, or, or beginning to know more, um, that, you know, psychedelics and, and mushrooms can, can make you can make different connections in the brain and allow you to reevaluate your life in a way that's, that could be really positive. So that's what was happening with this record also around that time. It yeah. was, uh, it was influenced by a couple, uh, you know some some sessions like that and and actually making a couple of songs um on mushrooms or whatever and it was it was something that was uh was really positive and i have all kinds of notes like here that i wrote on napkins during these these trips or whatever Hmm. what were these i have to find some of them another green world feels like family i was listening to that while i wrote that one (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just slow down the track um don't be afraid to to play uh smooth sax <laughs> yeah yeah um That's make songs one. that are kind um don't nice. try too hard with music just to make let it happen uh frame that drawing and give it to mom <laughs> <laughs> that's great man. Uh, hey so know, i, I just think so when when you were when you were telling telling that story it kind of made something come to my mind was um you're saying how like you you were kind of consciously 
thinking about making different music, like making it with a different purpose. Um, Do you feel like your art kind of uh, fell through the same evolution and like kind of like mellowed as well in a a degree? I don't, I really don't. I think that my art's still is as bombastic as it always has been really. Yeah. It's like really surrealistic and kind of like loud. And I think that it's always, it's always maintained that. So again, I'm probably assigning different, um, emotions and creative um creative uh i you know i find different creative outlets and then i can express myself through that and then i can mm-hmm. remain the same person basically yeah, you know sure so right. i'm just reassigning things probably yeah i mean because i've seen a lot of your work you know and like uh you, you just released a book uh recently yeah. right yeah and and that was can you explain that book to me a little bit there's a, there's a couple like uh a guide to Mes- metaphysical illustration which was basically um kind of a, a dadaist like type of approach of taking an old uh uh it was called the guide to professional illustration or something like that and i just took mm-hmm. the pages and started drawing abstract around the bodies that were there and the bodies on the page were beautifully drawn, but I was just kind of drawing these linear elements around those and drawing the metaphysical, um, and the expressions that we feel or, um, you know, it was just, uh, it was just a real way to, um, to draw what's happening outside of the body and kind of approach it in a, in a, in a fun way of taking, um, this this old manual and flipping it on its end and and being like you know this is really how you draw <laughs> or, or whatever you know this is how you really right. you don't have to draw like that or right. you know it's just it's flipping everything on end it's kind of like, right but it's a like psychedelic it's experience really in, yeah. in general is is uh realizing that what you've created for yourself or what others have created for you in the life that you're that that, that's that is not really uh it doesn't have to be the reality and you can reframe everything yeah i mean i think that that work is amazing yeah and um like do something really healthy like and that's what i'm trying was trying to do with this this album and at the same time i was trying to i'm really i've always been interested in making music that reaches people and it's not just like an expression of me at all. It's more of a, uh, I mean, I, I want to make pop music. I want to make music that people can connect to. I, I don't necessarily want to make pop music. That, that's in quotes, air quotes. But like, because I don't think I really listen to pop music. But pop music to me would be anything that I like, right? <laughs> that's what pop right. music means to me. It could be sure. Mal Waldron or like, uh, you know, anything. But right, yeah. it's like it can be. Agree with it's that. Totally not pop music. But what I mean is like something that's relatable. Look, well, let's keep on moving. Uh, let's yeah. moving on because I, I'm gonna actually have like a question for you for almost every song on this record. Great. There's a few that we're gonna skip because okay. oddly enough, <laughs> like I I loved this record when you told me about yeah. like that you wanted to choose this record. I was excited because I know this record. Yeah. Uh, well, I knew it a little bit. I was it wasn't my my favorite Eno record. But uh, I remember I had a copy of it on vinyl, which yeah. you have a copy right now, huh? What? You have a copy yeah, of this a, on vinyl? I got a couple copies around. I don't know where I put it. Oh, uh, okay. Because this is a, a pretty sought-after record for, for vinyl enthusiasts and, yeah. and for fans of Eno. Like, I've only had one of these once in my life, and I 
sold it because that's what I do. I sell records. Right. So, <laughs> um, but it, I remember loving it and I'm like, you know, I, I've always been a big fan, but I didn't realize that this album is mostly instrumentational. Oh yeah. yeah. Instrumental. Yeah. You know, I mean like, and so for me, when I'm doing this show, like the lyrics play a huge part because I, I usually analyze what's going on lyrically and, you know, that I can draw some stuff from that, but this is just all sound. Right. So it was a little tough for me. So we're going to skip uh, over Fire Island because that's the first instrumental song. It's very short anyway, but we'll, we'll go right to St. Elmo's Fire. pretty beautiful yeah beautiful uh beautiful imagery with the with the words it's yeah i mean i guess with with, with it applying to, to this to the record that i do it, it i didn't this is an instrumental record that i did but yeah it makes me want to revisit um doing some lyrical stuff I just, oh come on no need <laughs> it, it is what it is and it's great you know like you, you you know that it's a good record like it's like you did exactly what you needed to do oh, i'm just I'm you know, saying the beauty of lyrics is something that i that i've worked with for years right. and years and years and and a lot of the times one song could be really quirky and the next song could be amazingly poetic and then uh, i think that's a lot of the reason why some people can't um if they can't put a finger on it and it's not the same thing every time they don't know what to uh uh, right. to do with an artist and they have to classify something and, and throw it into a grouping and and that's kind of the reasons why sometimes those albums didn't hit that's that's one of the thing with well especially especially in the in the context of like a like a pop song like a pop structure you know verse chorus verse you if you throw in different words into that structure the rest of the band is still thinking like well we're playing this four times and then we move on to the next four sections this you is, know the continuity is the big thing about that that was reflected in both of these albums um in the uh in the way that the album structured the way that the variety of uh textures and types of songs throughout the album while still having that overall feeling of what did i, I explained it as as a a feeling of family or um mm -hmm. it feels like it feels like love and um i mean it, i think that what was it is i all come running to tire shoe wasn't that like uh didn't he just have a son or something and maybe that was a did i hear hear that or i just dream it i don't know i didn't see anything about that I when know. i was doing some of the research it could be i mean i, I could just I maybe know. not have seen it yeah but that's one of the that's one of the songs that I never really could relate to on the album. So it was kind of, it's always, I was listening to a Bahamadia song the other day and I was like, this is a song about her kid. And I was like, no wonder I couldn't relate to it because I don't have kids. So right. I was thinking like, well, why can't I relate to these songs? It's probably because of that. Hmm. But, well, that, that brings up an interesting point because like, I mean, I've always thought that like lyrics are, are basically poetry. And if it's poetry, then that means it's uh, interpretational. You, you can just kind of take whatever you want out of it, like whether 
whatever the you know kind of desired effect uh, from the s- storyteller's standpoint, you know whatever it was that they were trying to convey doesn't matter because you're going to hear it in a different way, right? You know. But um, back to St. Elmo's Fire. So you're kind of touching on what I wanted to get into is that sometimes in music it seems that the singer is telling a story, but sometimes that's the story seems unrealistic but completely not out of the ordinary, especially for a personality like Eno in, in the subject of this, this song. Right. Um, are, are your lyrics as surreal as your art? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not like telling like flat out stories and not oh, saying yeah. truths. <laughs> yeah. There's like, I mean, there's like, it's, it depends on what it is. Like I, like I was saying, it's so multifaceted. Like right. one song could be in the past. It's been, I think the last like Mac Blackout Band was just really pretty surreal lyrics. Um, a lot of songs are about. For years, I would kind of throw myself into the shoes of a teenage kid, like I was frustrated and I wanted to run away from everything and and scream and and right. freak out. So right. I would put myself back into that mode probably because i was working through all those emotions and i was working through the emotions of being uh, excuse me of being uh kind of uh trapped in a in a society where i couldn't i had not much control over my future i had to work for somebody and, and being a creative spirit and being chained like that is like is horrible so uh hmm. Are you saying that they like are never like autobiographical or just oh, most no. of the times are not? There's a lot of autobiographical like Okay. There, I yeah. mean like but it's it's maybe me as a teenager or it's like sensationalized like it's like you know it or maybe it's completely 100% like a, a direct fiction of um it's it's kind of a it's kind of, it's kind of everywhere. So it's like, like any, any artist they're going to, you can't ever say that it's 100% autobiographical, but there might be that certain song that, the, that it is. Hmm. I think we'd have to go song by song that I could tell you what was, what was up, but we can't do that. <laughs> <You> <laughs> no, know no, I mean? we're not going to get into that. <laughs> yeah. It's hard enough to, to just do this one 14 tracks, the third track album. So much, so much to talk about. In so yeah. Time, but right. Um, Okay, well, so that's St. Elmo's Fire. Um, The next song is In Dark Trees. All right, that's pretty much it. I mean... Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really this album is it has to be listened to uh, beginning to end, and that's kind of like what the same thing with Love Profess. It's really to I I approach Trouble in Mind specifically um, talking about it needed that it needed to be on vinyl because it just needed to be listened to like that. It just couldn't come out like a, a, as a digital release with people skipping from thing to thing. But, and, you know, throwing a vinyl record on is, uh, 
is a, a long playing record is you're usually going to listen to the whole side unless you're kind of like man in the turntable but uh right yeah, yeah it's a different li- listening experience and that's really uh kind of impressive that you had that that foresight to just say like um yeah I, I, to, to to know that it had to be that way to to like you know to to know that you you needed the listener to kind of listen to it like that yeah i mean that's that's that was the this this album has always been something that 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 was what i loved about it was it's overall first of all it's it's overall feeling and, and the feeling that you get from it um and it's it's you know he was trying to create something that felt like another world or create something that was felt like a specific place or like something. I think that hmm. I was reading, I was listening to an interview or something about where he was talking about that. So, I mean, that's kind of the same thing that I was trying to do in the end. Um, and that through, through the insight of, of being able to realize that I needed to create something and be open to making something that felt kind and loving. Um, it's, this is, it's just a lot of the things that are going on in Eno's record as well. There are different right. moods and different, um, different, it's all under the same umbrella and you can tell it's all under the same umbrella of the album with the feeling. Right. There's also, uh, things, different patterns that are echoed throughout. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, but d- different moods. That's, that's actually the key point. And, uh, cause like this, so- this song in dark trees, so Some gloomy, this weird, is, weird. Yeah, tr- truly a creep of a song. Yeah, you know, <laughs> this this is the sound. This is the sound of your nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it happens all the being, time. You just make music, and sometimes you don't you don't want to do that, but that's what happened that night. Exactly. And, and that's then, fine. And then it's you're like, wow, this is pretty powerful. I should probably put this on the album. Maybe that's why. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's, like, <clears throat> right. If I made that song, that's the way it would have come about. <laughs> right, right. Well, considering it's it's such a kind of like a dark and creepy and scary song, uh, can can you tell me of your biggest fear? Oh, my biggest fear? Like, probably like losing sight or, I don't know, Ooh. like just sight and... and uh, hearing and i don't really know all that stuff loot loss of of life uh of the gifts we have especially for you because i mean you use obviously your sight and your in your hearing for for all of your art yeah so i mean yeah those are the biggest fears probably Mm. i mean other than other other than self fears like the fear of everybody giving up on the fucking world before like we could uh save our future <laughs> mm. okay like that, that, you know, that like, goes... um you know people taking a, a, a root of of evil instead of the root of the betterment for everybody that's one of my biggest fears i'm sure that's probably a shared fear with almost everybody all your listeners <laughs> I mean, I, i'm 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 sure that that's kind of all, we're almost at that point already yeah so, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's not I mean, that's, looking good that's the big fear and that's what's at hand so that's that's right. the that's the constant um that's the constant for all of us in, in our minds, but yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> fear. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely will agree with you on that one. So uh, the next song is The Big Ship, which is something I actually definitely wanted to talk to with you about. So uh, let's listen to a little bit. 
so great. Yeah, it's it's uh it's a it's the one song, probably one of my favorite songs, that and Cherie by Suicide. Uh hmm. it's like um minimal ambient pop that's just like uh it's it's it it's transcendent. It it just it you feel so many different emotions and right. um it can be there's a lot of things going in that song that I really love musically. It feels like um, you're running like, you know, a thousand miles per hour while you're, it feels like soaring like a bird. It feels like, it feels like you're going a million miles per hour and you're going like underwater at the same time. <laughs> so that's been one of my favorite things. I, I think it was like, what was there's a lot of punk bands that did that kind of thing too and i've 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 achieved it in a few songs in the past like punk songs that i've or created where you're like have a rhythm that's going super fast like and then everything's floating above that super fast rhythm so i think that's what's going on there and that goes on with suicide a lot too is is this 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 really repetitive you know like beat right and then uh you get these beautiful like um melodies and things going over that so that's kind of what's going on in there and there's all kinds of layers it's funny that you mention uh you mentioned suicide because that's the album i discussed with jay ryan of six finger satellite yeah yeah uh and jay ryan is the reason why i know who you are awesome (laughs) (laughs) awesome so i just like to make that connection hell yeah but um so this song the big ship We've already kind of touched on it. I could see how excited you were when you mentioned it, yeah. this being kind of like your favorite song. Um, so what I wanted to ask you about it was like, was the big ship what you were going for? Like when you were creating Love Profess? Uh, yeah, it's what I go for every time I sit down in front of a synthesizer or anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I feel like this one was the I mean, one. It's not really this what I'm going for. It's just the mood that I love the most and the, the feeling that... Uh, the mood i mean the uh uh just everything that it that it does i mean it's like i i rarely pick apart a song and then try to emulate that i really can't ever do that i don't do it right but i mean i've done it before trying to cover songs and stuff which is like it, it's fun but um yeah under- no i mean i, I wasn't Im- implying that you know you were you wanted to make your album sound like this song. I'm just saying, like, I know, I understand how this song can make you feel by listening to it because it certainly gives me feels all over. I'm just thinking about how, I guess I'm going on a tangent about how the fuck did he do that anyway? (laughs) Right, right. Well, I mean, like, I I say the same thing about your record. I'm like, how the fuck did you do that? It's like an improvisational record. With everybody's, everybody's music. Of course, of course, yeah. If it's, but I'm just, you're like, whoa, that's, I, I was here. I was listening to an interview with Eno today, and it's like he was talking about how, um, um, you know, those are his favorite songs or songs that he can't figure out how they did it. You know what I mean? So that mm-hmm. it, it's, it's it, I think that's his goal probably a lot of the times is to make music that's so um, moving that you can't you just can't put your finger on something because the improvisation or the method was so uh, um, magical almost, you know what right. I mean? In, in, yeah, yeah. in the way, in the way that it was put together. And then 
his ear is the making that magic. But uh, yeah, so this this ship or the big ship was I I got married in 2012, and that was our processional song. The percent the for the for the wedding. So it's it's played a big oh, really? part in my life, like for a long time. Wow, and it's, that's beautiful. It's kind of like it was that, and I think it was what was it the the first song on the second side of T Rex's or Beard of Stars. It was like that was one that was Ooh. one of the other songs. But I don't I don't know that one. It's yeah, Beard of Stars and, and Unicorn are great uh are great albums like pre like uh glam T Rex. It was more of the uh folk more folky. But this is kind of that song's kind of along the same kind of lines that um I guess you could say that Eno did did with uh, Fripp and the guitars because on that particular album, Bolin kind of played um, with his like whimsical, like meditative folk recordings. He he put all this uh, electric guitar that almost sounded heavy metal over it, which was mm-hmm. really bizarre, but actually like. <laughs> It worked beautifully, and I've heard that yeah. he uh, he really hated that record because he thought his guitar playing sucked on it. <laughs> I think it's it so beautiful. But I was just listening to Bruno today, an interview with him talking about how those are always the most beautiful and inspired recordings. Anyway, are uh, untrained players that try to play. I'm not calling Bolin an untrained player. <laughs> By, no, no, no. <laughs> but you know, he was he was young in his guitar playing at that point. Right, right. Yeah, kind of like what you were saying about how you you kind of feel like learning how to play an instrument like technically right. would kind of like like um would hinder you in a way yeah, in, the, in the way I that you create. Would, I think it would hinder me, and I think it would yeah. hinder the journey. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's it. There's something beautiful to that to that naivety, right? Naivete of like not being like a technically good player and just kind of like letting things happen Definitely. there's uh, certainly happy accidents that kind of happen like that not to sound too much like bob ross but oh no that's that's yeah. happy accidents that's what that's what it's all about it's all about the artist's yeah. hand you know right it's that's what i that's why i always say is the the artist's hand is the uh the realist realism you know right when you can absolutely see the artist's hand mm-hmm so let's uh let's move on let's go on to i'll come running That's a great one. Yeah, I I think it's all right. <laughs> I know, yeah, I, I mean, think it, the section we played is probably better than the than the chorus, but I think I just can't get over the all come running to tie your shoe. I just you're right, around. and and that's the whole end of the song. It's just kind of a constant refrain at the at the very end. That's how it, the whole song ends. Right, right, right. But so so the verses are actually there's only two of them actually, and if you really 
read into the words, um, it's a little strange. So, so as so as much as we can agree on how much of an amazing influential artist Eno is from his impact on culture through music, art, oblique strategies, theorist stuff, even the Long Now organization he founded. I don't know if you know anything about that. Um, he clearly has doubts and insecurities. Right. So I consider your art and music to be top tier stuff as well. So, but do you face similar doubts? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we were less now than I did in the past, but I mean, growing up, you're always like, you having your insecurities and, um, I don't know. Yeah, obviously. I mean, all humans do, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think. I think I kind of charge full speed ahead, at, like most of the time, and and try not to have uh, too many doubts or insecurities. I mean, every new project is is um, is a challenge. You know, it's like I, you know, you're always tackling something new, learning from it, and then um, and then moving on. So yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, let, let me just give you an example of some of the, the words in this song, and maybe you'll see what I mean, is that I find a place somewhere in the corner. Right. I'm going to waste the rest of my days right. just watching patiently from the window, just waiting, seasons change, someday, oh, oh, my dreams will pull you through that garden gate. You know, so it's like it's this real, like, sense of just kind of like, just... Like he's help, like he's hopeless in this uh, in this like admiration or desire he feels for somebody. Yeah. Like he feels like he's not good enough for this person, and like, like what could he possibly do to just like pull them into his life somehow? Right. You know, and that's yeah. kind of like the the weirdly weird endearing part about ending ending the song with "I'll come tie your shoes." Right. I'll come running to you to to, to tie your shoes. It's just like, like. That's the most weird, like little nuance of of love, like that you would do for somebody. Maybe it's you know? about a, a kid or something. You know what I mean? Like maybe he's. I don't know. I don't want to talk about. I I don't want to. Uh, what do you call it? Imply. Imply like, that, is, uh... that, that there was something that was about yeah. that, but it's it kind of sounds like that. I mean, most most right. musicians are or or obsessed obsessed artists kind of neglect their uh sometimes aren't there for their family i don't know you know what i mean right, right. yeah so it could be I, I just think that he's being hard on himself you know like, like i think lyric really hard on myself if i had a kid and i was failing <laughs> yeah well hey i i am now I mean, That's it. this is all i don't know what this is yeah this is really making up that i thought it was about his kid but I, I, maybe yeah I, I i could see it either way though really i mean like you know because you're you're married yeah, and I I'm I'm married as well. I do have kids, but like even thinking of that, like you know, if you loved someone so much, like your wife, yeah, and you know, let's just say for some reason you notice that like she's walking and she doesn't have her shoe tied, like would you just bend over and tie that shoe? Most like you wouldn't even think to ask her. Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. See, so that that's it. It's just, it's not. It doesn't have to be a kid, but I just think that it's so funny right. that there's such that's the a love there. That's that's the, the 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 like him showing how much he loves this person. Yeah, I think that maybe that, maybe maybe it was the first lyrics that I couldn't get into because I don't like, 
I don't know. I just like charging full speed ahead all the time and not mm-hmm. like rethinking or feeling guilty about it. <laughs> sure. It's sure. Probably no, I, I get it. My, it's probably a fault because I, I think that I do feel, you know, yeah, whatever. I, I, I'm guilty. You know, I have, I certainly have that in me where I feel like very, uh, I certainly have moments where I feel like, just like, like I'm fucking nobody. I'm nothing. Like I'll never be anything, you know, it's just like trying so hard to, to, you know, get good at something and, you know, just always working at it, you know, cause like you just don't give up. Yeah. I think it's all about just, just doing it and doing it your way and, and just saying, fuck it all. Like, Mm-hmm. If if you know that you're doing something good, you know you're doing it good, and it do, you don't have to put it put somebody else's uh, opinion to it. Like you know, I I might not play if I play saxophone in in um, some some well trained jazz musicians hear me, they're probably just going to be like, "What the hell are you doing?" You know, and I mean, they're really not playing very good, and I'm gonna yeah. be like, "But maybe I am." <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like maybe I am, maybe I just well, haven't learned it the same way. Maybe I, I mean, I do, I do practice like every, every single day for more than an hour and, and uh, you know, whatever it, I do the training that I need to do and I'm always challenging myself with new things. So yeah. I guess that would be something that I would, yeah, whatever. Well, I like you know listening to to your record, Love Profess, and uh, and not having known anything about your your you know your previous music background. I mean, I just assumed you were a jazz musician. I was just like, oh yeah, he he's he's like a jazz guy. I get it. Like I like I hear that scronk from like saxophones all over other jazz music. You know, it's just like I I couldn't tell the difference between what you were playing as uh, you know, and I would have never considered it as like an like inferior playing right. style than like any other sax player for any other jazz record i think that's probably mostly in my head you know what i mean like being an of trained musician you that's always going to be in the back of your head like because you don't know what it's like to be a trained musician you're kind of like so how are people are going to perceive uh, what you're doing perceive that and really the only thing that gets me through the day is being like i don't give a fuck i'm just gonna keep playing <laughs> there you go you know what i mean like that, i don't I'm i mean on. i really it's truthfully like all I care about is is making quality music that that people that touches people and that people can relate to and any means I can go about doing that I'm going to do that I don't want to mm-hmm. um, and I think that's what I love about getting back to this this record uh, Eno has a more intellectual way of going about that but you know, there's some real touching kind of things. There's also a lot of those weird, creepy songs. It's like, you know, like that one we listened to earlier um, on the yeah. album. And, you know, Armageddon Experimental Band did tons of stuff that was just very intense and kind of had those those creepy vibes. But you get, it might, a lot of times it's it's more just like you're pouring out your energies and, um, and you see what you get with everybody. And I think on mm-hmm. this one, it just so happened to be a genius putting this together and orchestrating all these players. And it's pretty amazing. But yeah, yeah, I agree, man. Let's, uh, let's move on to uh, the title track, another green world.
that's pretty much it. It's a fairly short song. Yeah. So uh, the title Another Green World was inspired by a piece of science fiction that tells a story of humans traveling to another planet to only discover that the planet is nearly identical to Earth in every which way. Hence the title Another Green World. So which Eno found to be a superbly ironic. So irony is a constant theme throughout this record, but I'd like to know a little bit more about how you feel about our green world at the moment. Where do you think, think our... I think I said it already. <laughs> yeah, you we kind of were getting, we're getting this to already. It's getting it was to that. one of my biggest fears. <laughs> yes, I know. So, so where do you think are our weaknesses and our strengths? Uh, I, I see my purpose in life to, is to do whatever I can to inspire kids of the future artistically and emotionally and just, and just bring about positivity. Like it's just, Mm -hmm. um, that that's become my purpose with my art. Um, music a lot of the times is still more of an abstract exploration, but with this album, love professed, it wasn't necessarily, it was holding hands with the world and less about saying, let's celebrate and party or something. You know what I mean? I'm holding hands with the world. And I was trying to create something mm-hmm. that you could listen to and sympathize with or not sympathize. And what do you call it? Relate to. Yes. So then you could relate to. And that's, that's why I chose this album and, and uh, another green world um, is because it has probably been the, one of the, albums that I related to the most in feeling and especially apl- applicable to um, this record in last year. I mean, uh, hmm. so the question and the, the answer is, I don't, I don't know. Well, so, so uh, you were saying how if you, um, your purpose is to uh, provide, you know, through your art and your music is to provide this positivity and, right. and a great example for the future for the f- for the little kids for the, for our future yeah, basically, yeah. so what 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 do you think would happen to these kids if they didn't have that positivity? Well, you would there would be no future. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would just not want to live if you don't have to live. Then you're not gonna. Uh, you know what I mean? You have to have yeah. something that's invigorating and exciting in your life, and to to want to live on. And, uh, you know, my whole, my, my whole life is art and, and music and, and that's all that I know. So it's kind of, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I did, I did recently got to do a mural for, for a company called Energy CX. They're, they're kind of just, uh, just starting up. I did mm-hmm. a mural for them and I was happy to do that. And, and I love doing, working with, uh, people that are trying to, make it make a better world in a more uh i mean you know it's that's i I love working with people like that and the more jobs i can do that like that the better um yeah but when i I have a job for the for a community mural i'm about to do a community mural in edgewater and you know i'm telling the story of of the community from left to right in this in this uh like block it's about a hundred foot mural or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it tells, it kind of tells a story of growing up in the community. Um, and then has a bunch of silhouettes overlooking the horizon and, and into the, over the lake. And it, it's kind of, uh, something that will make 
people feel empowered and, and uh, take pride in their community. So I like yeah. to do things like that. And I do it through minimal, um, minimal, like kind of pop art, um, visual language so that, um, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like the cover to another green world kind of, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I'm, I'm making kind of yeah. minimal pop art that, uh, that people can relate to and they get an overall feeling from. That's great. It's not, hey, can I ask you a question? Cause um, literal, like I was thinking, like, uh, it's not literal like murals of the, of the seventies and not necessarily politically charged. It's spiritually charged in, in with positivity is really. Okay. I, I just want to ask you something about the art. Cause yeah. um, like, I didn't, I didn't put this down here, but it's definitely something I was thinking about. See, so I'm not an artist. Right. Like, I, I, I really admire people that can create visual art because it's just so amazing to me. Like, right. you know, um, so obviously I never went to school for this either, but, like, how do you learn to paint at that scale of, like, you know, hundreds of feet like, yeah. or 100 feet tall, you know? Yeah, it was, it was graffiti for me. Like, um, it's kind of just all every every new... I think the exploration is is the main thing that right but how do you like understand the depth like like because like your some of your artwork is like so realistic like some of the depictions of eyeballs or like any kind of like feature of a face yeah and it's just like it's so exact like it looks so realistic if it's something like that a lot of the times like for scale like you can there's a few different methods you can use you can use grid methods or you can use uh, more organic grid me- methods. This is a new way that was invented with technology. I don't do this as much, but I've seen people do it where they kind of doodle on the wall. Instead, there's a bunch of doodles, and then right. they can superimpose that, uh, superimpose the photo over a photo of the wall, and then they know where the where the outlines are, where the details right, are going. Right. So that so how do you grid do methods? It? I've, I do the old school grid method. Like if it's if it's a short distance and I can't project. But if it's from far back and I can project, I'll just project the mural, and uh, oh, okay. I'll design it first, and then project the mural, and and then trace the uh, the basic qualities of it, and then go in there and paint it, and paint all the details. Oh wow! So it's like, okay, it's it's just saves time. So that's yeah, yeah. It's a it's a tool to, that is newer, but uh, it's it just totally saves time it's great <laughs> right right i mean because i always thought about it like like tattoo art because like yeah. I, I get tattoos sometimes and i remember how like you know they just put that like that stencil of the purple ink on you and then just basically trace the lines you know? that's exactly it's the same thing same principle same principle cool Th- thank you for answering that to me i was just i'm just in a, you know an idiot and i'd love to know some things sometimes yeah i mean <laughs> but yeah like i said it was like doing doing like whole freight cars or something that that gives you the first idea of how you need to work at that scale you know what i mean yeah it gets right, right. experimenting on with big scale you start to understand how how something's gonna be and then that understanding grows you realize yeah i can i can paint a big scale it's just gonna take a day and a half to do this grid when it could take me two hours to project <laughs> you know what I mean? right. so it's a time saver yeah absolutely so um you know what i actually there so we're technically on the second side of the album right now uh yeah. number eight somber reptiles is the next track um but i have only got like two more questions for you that's cool i know we're running long 
No, no, no. It's not even that. It's just like that. I didn't come up with anything else for the rest of these songs because they're they're all friggin' instrumental yeah. for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's, let's, that's, let's go ahead. That's the that's the uh, that's the connection between that's one of the other connections between this album and, and my album. Uh, it's that's true. Yeah, that's that it's instrumental. Yeah, yeah. it's it's one hundred percent instrumental, and that's that's the big change. But in this album, is that it is one hundred percent instrumental, and I I kind of was making the same changes. That Eno was making this this album and read and diving into it at the same time as I made the record um, um, really it just coincided it was fluid. right okay all right let's move on to somber reptiles. Did you see that? Yeah. Oh, I think I had a light bulb that just blew Wait, out. My, my Actually, no, two of them. At least I think. the power didn't go out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We went. We might be close for all I know. For some odd reason. Is it storm? I, I, I'm in a shed. I'll tell you right there. Oh, okay. Like, I'm not. I'm not in my house. <laughs> so yeah, this place is really roughed out. All right. So um, somber reptiles uh, of the list of instrumentation on this song unnatural sounds is included all right uh can you give me an example of the most unnatural sound you have used in some of your music um i don't know there's a lot of cool sounds like you could i got like these what are they these crappy digitech multi-effects pedals this i use those a lot in my old recordings that had a lot of unnatural sounds (laughs) you know what i mean they're like yeah there's all kinds of weird like cheap effects and stuff but they don't sound cheap they just sound weird and and you could like depending on what you use them with um you can really create some really cool textures it's really just about exactly and stuff Exactly. And that's kind of like what I meant because, you know, see, obviously you think in the same way that Eno is thinking. Right. It's just like the way that you layer songs with an instrumentation or even the sounds that these instrumentations are kind of giving off. Right. That's how you can make a song, kind of even one that sounds like this. Right. You know, um, I mean, and he's notorious for that. That's like his thing. Right. Like, it's just like making all of these strange noises and kind of incorporating into the music and, and it works. Right. So that's kind of, I think, what I was getting at with with the question for you, as far as like, you know, when you're making music, is like, are these, are there weird things like that? And then, and yeah, yeah, there are. Yeah, there's weird things. Yeah, there's definitely weird things. <laughs> Considering you love, you know, or you like, you love this record, and you're an artist, right. and obviously, you know, uh, experimental yeah. in a lot of regards. I just wondered if you would do something like that because me as a musician too, like I haven't recorded anything in a long time, but when I do or when I did, I would always think of like, what's the, what can I use that's not an instrument to make sound, right. to, to try to like, you know, just layer, just put it somewhere yeah, been, in the background. I mean, I've been, I've got a whole track that I was, it's, it's usually more on like some spiritual stuff. I've, I recorded with all the locusts. Um, so I, I would record a synth, I would set a synthesizer up and this is recently like a few months ago but i haven't released it but i've I got a series of recordings and i would I basically create a sequence that kind of was on the same frequency as the locust outside because i live like basically in a tree 
like there's okay. a huge tree up outside my window so and there's all these yeah. these there were cicadas or whatever because it was like a seven year where they call them they called them the brood brood x or something so it had a really cool name or whatever anyway yeah yeah um so yeah i'm playing music with brood x and like <laughs> it's it's crazy it was absolutely insane they they mimic the 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 repetition in the in the sequence so they can mimic the rhythm and then they mimic the sounds and if so i'm playing my saxophone through a delay pedal and they 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 uh uh respond to that really well too so hmm. it's just what they're trying to do is they're trying to you're i kind of feel bad about it because they're trying to find a mate with their their mating call or whatever and i'm doing these mating calls back to them and like i'm going out on the porch and they're like landing on me and stuff and like i'm freaking out i'm like this is weird (laughs) (laughs) like i'm about to become like a locust man or something like i'm really like i'm up and then i go down the street and i'm painting a mural and there's these locusts like humming by my head and i'm just like i'm in love with this locust sound and i'm like freaking out it's like because I'm because I'm focusing so much on my energy on on making yeah. music with these locusts. So well, think about how the locust feels. They're like I'm in love with this human. Yeah, it's right. crazy. <laughs> I think that's what they were freaking out about. And then I, you know, the thing lands on me, and it's, it's beautiful. And I and I'm like, I call my wife to the window. I'm like, Allison, come here. And then she opens the door, and he flies in. And I'm just like, holy shit this locust that I just made friends with flew in the house and now I can't find him. He just moved in. What the fuck? He moved in. And then of course I, I'm like thinking like this is he, it's the death of him. Like this, my relationship with this locust was the death of, of this locust because he's not going to be able to get out. Right. He or she, I shouldn't be genderizing him, but sure. Right. <laughs> that's how the old generation Xers do. But <laughs> so, did you ever find it? Yeah, you did find it. Was, it. He died. Yeah. Oh fuck! All right. I, I meant like if you found him and got him out. <laughs> I wish. No. I think I was listening uh, to another song that it was like all about like. Oh no! It was that uh, Tuxedo Moon song. Uh, no tears for the creatures of the night. You know what I'm talking about? Anyway, no, I don't know. No that tears is a song called No Tears, and I was playing that the same night, oh. and I was just like, "This is horrible." Because these 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 locusts at night are not necessarily the creatures of the night, but anyway, I saw it as that, and I was just like, "Why am I?" And it's like I'm supposed not supposed to cry about this this thing uh, that just died in my house. <laughs> anyway, I guess so. I'm kind of limited. yeah, but <laughs> but that was right. that's the fun experiment. On with on with the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so listen, I wanted to get into um, golden hours. Where is my thing? We're going to skip Little Fishes because it's just an instrumental. Just an instrumental? I don't, I'm sorry. I don't mean to say just an instrumental. <laughs> My brains have turned to sand, I think it's been an eternity. You'd be surprised degree of uncertainty How can hmm. It's a pretty amazing song. So, uh, Lethargy? 
Is that is that what we're hearing in the song? Is that what you th- what the the vibe you pull you get out of it? I think that what I'm hearing in this album is is honesty, a lot of honesty with self, and like in mm-hmm. being vulnerable, which was like something that was big with creating Love Profess for me, is learning how to just express yourself and be completely vulnerable and open and not have mm-hmm. to make like a record that was just like a habitual uh, record of frustration and, and something that I was used to. Um, right. Being open to being vulnerable, being open to making something kind and, and loving, or at least making that the goal uh, to be able to do that, you know? And maybe that's what mm. he's doing too. Uh, I would say probably. It sounds like he. That's a very good possibility. Yeah. And I, and I love I love your thinking. I love that. That's what kind of like motivates you, and and the way you see like the way the 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 method in which you kind of like achieve your art. Right. You know. Uh, I think it's great. Um. So this song, Golden Hours, uh, of the hours in the day, which do you consider the golden ones? Like the hours in the day that you are well, the either best, awake the best or asleep. Hours are always like around sunset, so I don't know. It's, it sounds like the obvious answer, but to me, yeah, yeah. to me, like the that's always that's always the best. It's if you've had a good day, if you've achieved your goals, and and um, it it's either you achieved your goals and you're you're happy that you've done that, or you're just happy that you're done working so damn hard and you got, and and now you can take a break. So for me, I always play saxophone around, around that time before dinner. And then that's like my favorite time. I get to decompress from any frustrations I would have had. Um, I get to be creative in a creative explosion that makes me tired. And then, and then I can uh, relax and have dinner and fall asleep. Or, or relax and you know yeah so usually it's sundown golden okay. hours, right <laughs> yeah so that was that was basically the last question i had for you but i do have one more question for you that i've just kind of thought up uh that i was thinking of actually was um so you, you you're you're so you're so prolific you have such a crazy discography and like the artwork that you create so it's like how, how do you manage to be so productive um I think it's just being obsessive, like, and and that's your that's like the only way that I stay happy. I guess I don't know. Do, it's just kind of like anything that rolls around can be a new door that opens, and mm-hmm. I take I take those opportunities and make some make new art out of it. Um, but it's really management of the time and becoming really good at that. Realizing as you as you do your work and you do your art you realize how long things are going to take you and you, you just leave a tiny bit of a buffer between like uh, the time you have to start one thing and start the next. And then you really, uh, you can really roll with it and, and have time to do everything. And, Mm. and yeah, you can work all night long. Like when I was a kid, like as long as you're, as long as you're from age, whatever, 16 to 35, I think you can probably, I mean, this is the way I did. I wouldn't suggest it. And it's probably unhealthy. You can probably work all day, make music all night and have very little sleep and 
you just, I mean, that's just, and you just create and create and create and create and then put that, put that music out. Um, don't let it sit around. That's my biggest problem. I have like two albums right now, like of material that I'm sitting on. Like Armageddon Experimental Band has like probably five more albums that we're sitting on and we have no time to get to that music to uh, unearth it because I'm right. so involved in music always has to take a back uh, seat to art because art's the way I make or visual arts, the way I make a living. And, and it's both, both are my extreme passion. And I, I don't know, uh, you know, I guess I kind of just needed to get an assistant sometime when I, when I can afford it, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, maybe man. I can, sounds like it. Yeah. It'd be well earned. You deserve it. Yeah. You deserve an assistant. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, I, yeah, I think so, thanks for having me on the on the show and everything. I yeah, well, I mean, well, thank you for for you yeah. know putting yourself out there and trying it because I mean, I think that it's 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 so much easier to th- than than you think only because. Yeah. First of all, I'm asking you questions, and you just have to answer them honestly. Yeah. Second of all, you don't have to do the work. Like you didn't have to look into the album and like do any kind of research or anything like that. That like that was kind of like that's kind of my job. And you know, if I surprise you with some information, great. If I don't, that's fine too. If if I ask you an embarrassing question, shame on me. <laughs> no, I wasn't ever embarrassed. I think that yeah. I think we had a great interview. I just talked too much, and I probably just embarrassed myself. <laughs> oh no 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 i actually i, think I guess that's my very... biggest fear is to like hear interviews that i've done so this is me facing my fears today cool i'm glad to help <laughs> well it's insightful regardless absolutely it is it is and so i thank you for taking the time um in closing i just have this is that i i got the oblique strategy strategies cards awesome. so have you ever used these no but i've i've done my own kind of before casually so okay okay so when i opened up the app the first thing that came up says think inside the work slash outside the work yeah um do you want to try one fresh like if i if i pull out a new card yeah see what it says yeah voice nagging suspicions what am i supposed to <laughs> you're supposed there's to think no, of a nagging no, uh, there's no rules so voice nagging suspicion so i guess you you apply that to whatever work you're doing and that's that's what or in the in the moment in the moment we're in a in a yeah. podcast conversation okay so voice nagging suspicions <laughs> i i suspect that i'll probably be annoyed with the way i gave the interview <laughs> because <laughs> i'd really li- i'd really like to be be like less tense usually i guess these are yeah. my uh my own hang-ups i always get tense when i'm doing interviews and stuff but you know it, it's just what it is you know there, i hear you it's a plague to be in a brain that's like going a million miles per hour different 10 different ways and then it's also a, a total gift you know what i mean i i completely <laughs> agree with you but uh yeah, pleasure, man. Pleasure, man, speaking with you. And um, fuck, you know what? I didn't even ask you. Like, what's what's coming next? Oh, okay. I know you said you have like two albums worth of stuff that yeah, that you're sitting on. But oh yeah, I, I do need to. I need to. I need to say, talk about that real quick though. Um, 
I just had an album come out with Landon Caldwell called Linear Revolution. And Landon Caldwell is this amazing uh, kind of ambient avant-garde composer from Indianapolis. And there's, there's some, they, there's a couple of guys in Indianapolis, um, Mark Tester and him, and they run a label called Medium Sound. And they've included me on some of their comps before, but um, this album, Linear Revolution, is coming out on Trouble in Mind. And I say coming out, it actually already came out, but I didn't announce it because the tapes weren't there here. So I wanted to... Okay. It's a, it's coming out on cassette. So I'm picking those cassettes up Sunday, so I will be announcing that Sunday. And uh, yeah, so that's oh, okay. new. That's brand new, and you can hear hear that on uh, Trouble in Minds Bandcamp or on Spotify or anywhere. It's under Mac Blackout and Landon Caldwell. It's a linear revolution. And that, uh, that album was recorded during the pandemic as well. That was in the fall. So basically, he, uh, he sent me two sound beds that were about 13 minutes long. And uh, I play alto sax over those. And it's all improvisation, basically just one take of alto sax over his sound bed. And then I layered some piano and some guitar in there. Uh, multi-tracking hmm. but it's there were some really cool um ambient tracks and and we were um it was so weird we were listening we were seeing all the releases come out from the pandemic and then we saw uh, uh pharaoh sanders's new album came out and we were just like we we, we called each other up and we were like why does the album sound exactly like the album we recorded in the fall? <laughs> so if you like that Hero Sanders record, Floating Points, you'll really like uh-huh. this. And, and uh, it's it's a lot of free uh, flowing sax over very ambient scent type of uh, work. Hmm. Like 13 minute tracks, very meditative. Uh, sure. And so, yeah, that's, that's the new thing. And I have like probably 20 or 30 tracks recorded that I just have to um, kind of tie together just like I did this, this album and really kind of come to some revelations and, and feel it out and, and piece it together. So, okay. So yeah, there's, there's probably about two albums worth of material. That's the, that's music wise. That's what I'm doing. And I'm also scoring a movie that I'm producing right now on the history of Chicago graffiti called it was written. So um, we're working with the director of uh, the Sharkula movie. Um, Sharkula is a a musician here in Chicago, like an outsider rapper. Um, But he, he did a movie on Sharkula about 10, 20 years ago. It wasn't 20, but it was like, it was a while ago. Okay. Um, Yeah. So I'm I'm doing the soundtrack of that. Sorry, I'll, if that's awesome. <laughs> if, oh, that's great, man. If you ask me what I'm doing next, I'll just keep on going. But <laughs> but yeah, that's that's like in the works, and I'm really excited about that. That's more of like an electro, like um, mm-hmm. like an electro '80s kind of soundtrack vibe. And then there's a lot of uh, I'm using like samples from you know 808s and and uh, you know old school drum machines. Cool. And working with so that. W- would you say that the like are you going to announce all these things like on your social media yeah, when, when they're like I just announce them as they come but right, know, right. it was written you can follow it was written um, 
on Instagram, I think I think you can just type in it was written. I think there might be spaces between the words it was written. Okay. Uh, maybe it's it, well, well, I'll just tell people to, to follow you. Yeah. You know, at, at Mac Blackout. Uh, you can Instagram. see if you see graffiti stuff, you'll or little montages. It's that's probably the film. And through that, you can you can I'll link to them to the right to the movie. Right. So. Cool, man. Well, that sounds great. I mean, it's some something really awesome to look forward to. I mean, uh, I will I follow you, so I'll see I'll see when you announce it. Yeah, yeah. And I'll I'll come find it. I, I'm sorry, I'm keep on writing. <laughs> no, it's okay, man. You're busy. You got a lot of stuff going on. That's great. All right. All right, Matt. It's a pleasure speaking with you again. Have a wonderful evening. I hope to to meet you in Chicago at some point. I'll let you know if I'm coming through. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and um, I will I will send you a gift. Um, I'll hit you up through email. But um, I have like shirts and stuff that I usually like to give out. So yeah, awesome. What what size do you wear? Large. Okay. Right now, I'm trying to get down to a medium. I don't think I will though. I'll send you. I'll send you a small. It'll be your your uh, impetus to to, to work on. It. <laughs> All right, Mac. Well, you have a good one, man. Have a good night. You too, man. Bye. Vinyl and Vision is a psychic static production. Theme song written and performed by Jeff Robbins of One Two Three Astronaut. 